Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. There are few people whose work is as acclaimed as Paul Rabinowitz, a novelist, a poet, a world-class photographer, the founder of Arts by the People, and an adjunct professor at Foley Dickinson University. His work has appeared in numerous literary journals and reviews. He is the author of Clay Urn, Confluence, and Limited Light, a book of prose and portrait photography which stems from his Limited Light photo series, nominated for Best of the Net in 2021. Paul is creator and co-writer with Brittany Berthier of the TV pilot Bungalow and author of the book of poems titled Truth, Love, and the Lines in Between, which was released on September 23rd, 2023. And there's a chapbook on the way of autofiction called Grand Street Revisited. Both were released, published by Finishing Line Press. So again, my guest tonight is Paul Rabinowitz, and I think Paul is with me now. Hold it home. Good evening, Paul. Hello there. Hello, sir. Great How to be you? here. Great. I'm, glad I'm very, very fine. Thanks. All right. Fantastic. Well, let's begin this poetic journey. All right? You got it. Paul, what is poetry? So poetry is basically taking observations. Could be the simplest observation like uh, a flower, a cell phone. Um, a microphone and putting it onto paper with metaphors and opening it up. And basically, in the end of it all, you have a story that's created based on that simple object or person, touch of the hand, whatever it might be. Tell me more about poetry from your heart. What is it from your heart? So I think poetry from my heart is really a deeper understanding of the human condition, a deeper Mm -hmm. understanding of who we are as human beings, a deeper understanding of perhaps why people do what they do, whether it be um, something as simple as a hug, why they're needed uh, to get a hug. Um, Yeah, so it's pretty much just a deeper understanding of the simple things we do in life. That's what poetry is for me. Other people go in other directions, but for me, (laughs) it's that. It's It's a simple thing and breaking it down into why someone does what they do. You know, it's funny. As I listened 
you seemed to come alive when you talked about it from your heart. There's a difference. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Beautifully stated. Beautifully stated. Well, I, I go I go two ways. I go the teacher Paul Rabinowitz, and then I go the, the artist Paul Rabinowitz. So I've got those two. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. I understand. So 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 you know I started I started I started tonight with the teacher, and then I got yes. deeper into it. This week. <laughs> well, being a retired professor myself, I do understand. There you go. I do understand. <laughs> So in terms of poetry, Paul, is it important? Talk to me. Um, yeah, poetry is, uh, is really important, especially uh, when you are, again, trying to get a deeper uh, meaning of the world around you. So I, I wrote a, I wrote a uh, prose poem that uh, it's about a year and a half ago called uh, Little Jem Magnolia. And Little Jem Magnolia, um, I spent many years down in New Orleans. New Orleans to me is still very much, uh, that city is very much amused for me. I come yeah. back to it in my writing year after year. And I wrote this piece um, where the uh, it, it's mixed with both narration and poetry. And the narration at the opening scene, gentlemen's in a... Uh, coffee shop in uh, the, the Fallbaugh Marini district of New Orleans, and he's writing a piece, and it kind of goes on to tell a little bit more about the story that he's writing. But then mm -hmm. the second part of the story and the third part is told through poetry. It's his life with this person that is very important to him, but told, uh, written in poetry. And then the fourth part, the last part, comes back to sort of uh, a narration and narrative. And uh, this got picked up. Uh, I submitted it. It was the quickest piece that ever got picked up for me. It got picked up by uh, uh, one of the great magazines on the West Coast, uh, MetaWorker, in about uh, 24 hours. And when the letter came back to me, uh, the acceptance letter, it said this was one of the most unusual uh, short stories that that editor has ever read, basically because what you did, what you what you did, what you attempted to do, and you did it with some uh, level of success, is you deeper into the mind of of the narrator, the one who's telling uh -huh. the story, by uh, introducing poetry. So poetry, to go back to your question, uh -huh. can allow us to go deeper than straight narrative or straight prose. Um, so that's why poetry is important. And now what I'm doing is I'm mixing uh, poetry in with prose. I just finished a book called Grand Street Revisited. Yes. My first uh, delve into nonfiction, what they call, fancy word is autofiction. It's All basically right. uh, not nonfiction, but it's written autobiographically. It's autobiographical fiction. And yeah, and it's based on eight pieces. It's my... Uh, story about my world as I became a writer, um, which mm -hmm. was only about 12 years ago. I'm 62 years old now. Okay. I started delving into the world of art at about 49. And I wow. met this person who kind of changed my life and understood mm -hmm. uh, through working with this person uh, how the art form, or I should say uh, writing, can be uh, at a very high level of art. And so I wrote this book called Grand Street Revisited, which takes me back to this uh, period that I worked uh, with this person for about two and a half, three years. And mm -hmm. the book is written in eight pieces where uh, five of them 
uh, uh, nonfiction prose, and the other three pieces are, again, of poetry. And once again, the poetic observation or the observation of the narrator, who is me in this one because it is not fiction, um, sees the situation uh, through his poetic eyes. So oh, that wow. is why poetry is important. It allows us, I feel, to go deeper. Okay. I'd like you to come back when Grand Street Revisited is published. Mm-hmm. We do it all on this show. So please come back. <laughs> we cover the gamut of literature. So please, <laughs> so please come back. I will do that, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, sir. But you know, Paul, there are people out there, though, who believe that poetry is dying. What is your take on it? Um, well... When I, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say, okay. So if I take a step back, mm-hmm. um, I, I did not learn, I, I, I didn't study uh, writing. So in other words, uh, I, I came very, very late in my life to writing both poetry and prose. Okay. Uh, and so I had no parameters. I had no... I didn't have anybody saying when I was 20 or 30 or 40 that this is right or this is wrong or this is what you've got to do. And these are the books you have to read. Mm-hmm. It just came as a flood when I was about, as I say, 49, 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know really what poetry was. I don't think I really ever read poetry prior to that. Maybe it may be one of the two great you know, poems that I had to read at university, but other than that, not really. And then um, I started writing fiction. It was a story that I wanted to tell that happened to me when I was younger and I felt would be an interesting premise for a novel. So I wrote the novel. And then after that, I was challenged by um, a friend of mine. Uh, They do these 30-30s where you write 30 pieces in 30 days and then you share them uh, with 30 other writers. And this person uh, was a poet and, and I wrote a piece uh, kind of experimental, and she said, "Wow, that's like poetry. You, you should you should just go deeper and use the word I." And I said, "I, that's that's interesting. I'm a fiction writer. We never use the word I because we get to hide behind the bushes. You know, we get to hide behind our characters." She yes. said, "Well, try it with the word I." And honestly, Michael, uh, that is what got me started. Uh, I wrote my first attempt at poetry using the word I, and it felt like such a natural form of expression. And um, since then, um, and this goes back about now, only about six years ago, and I wrote Truth, Love, and the Lines in between during COVID, so that's, you know, during Mm. the pandemic, so that's only about four years ago, three, uh, four years ago. And since then, all that I've been reading is poetry because I feel when the question is poetry dead. If mm-hmm. you want to be a great writer, if mm-hmm. you want to wow those folks, whether it be in fiction, whether it be in screenwriting, whatever medium you're dabbling in, you've got to write it poetically. You've got to understand that poetry is the way to really get the deeper feelings, emotions across uh, to your reader and or your viewer if you're writing, um, if you're writing um, films or TV. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why poetry is important to me. I cannot do what I do in prose. I cannot do, I cannot write fiction anymore without interjecting forms of poetry in it. And here's another, I just finished a novel um, Mm -hmm. called Confluence, 285 pages. And within the novel, the main character, her name is Corey. She is trying to revisit her own self, who she is. And she also does it by taking her journal out and actually writing poetry. So the reader is exposed to her poetry, which is really my comfort level now with poetry, again, thrown into a fiction novel. Very nice. Very nice. I'd like you to share with me an early experience when you learned that poet language had power, I guess in the last 12 years or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did it just blossom? What happened? So I, I learned how to write poetry by going to a literary open mic. So I okay. learned poetry by listening to poets, sometimes slam poets, spoken word poets, lyrical poets. And I would just listen. And it, this was like a, I guess it's like a two hour event. And I went religiously every month and I just kind of absorbed how these poets were reading and how it affected me. Mm-hmm. And some poetry was really complicated for me to absorb through my ears, you know, through the oratory world, so to speak. And others just like penetrated, went right to me, and I just got it. And it was like, oh, my God, that was beautiful. And after four or five years of listening to these poets, I began to realize why some of them were easy for me to grasp and why others were not. And I started mimicking some of those poets. Um, and so uh, little by little, what began to happen is I began to then participate, bring my own work to this open mic. And I remember I read a poem. Um, this might probably goes back about five or six, maybe even seven years ago. I read a poem at an open mic and I felt the audience gasped at the end. I felt the mm-hmm. audience go, whoa. And whether it be real or not, because as we know, sometimes we imagine certain things that aren't even really happening, but we feel it. Like a jazz musician, you know, he's improvising, they're improvising, and they feel this thing, and it just comes to them, and they just kind of riff off of that. And I heard those people say, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Or, oh. And that's the first time that I realized that this poem that I wrote was resonating uh, with other people in a way that was actually moving them to comment while I was there up on stage. And that's a powerful feeling. That's, that's yes, it is. Yeah, that's a powerful feeling. So was it like lightning? Oh. Um, what you felt? Yep. <laughs> was I it think, that strong? <laughs> <laughs> Were you thunderstruck? Um. Yeah, I think I think there oh, was wow. some of that, Michael. I think there was. I think there was some feeling of, um, um, yeah, awe. 
um, mm-hmm. I kind of walked off that stage like, oh, uh, I'm sure you know the feeling, almost like you're elevated, you yes, know, know. almost yes. like you're not walking on the ground. Yeah, yes. I was so yes, I overwhelmed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and 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 sometimes when I would read something that I felt didn't didn't resonate, did not resonate. Mm-hmm. I felt the opposite. I kind of felt like uh, I got to go back and like kind of redo that thing because, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. not working. And I do want to say one other thing, Michael, that um, yes. I think is super important to all writers and all poets, uh, maybe all artists. That, And it's funny because I just had a conversation with somebody uh, who you uh, interviewed a while back, uh, Margie Siraco, who's a, a yes. wonderful poet and a good friend. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. Wonderful and I actually... Person. She's great. She's just so great. And mm-hmm. um, I had one of those moments uh, the other day where I was just kind of questioning something that I wrote. And so I kind of reached out to Marjorie saying, hey, Marjorie, would you read this for me? Just let me know what you think. And she reminded me that artists cannot create for the masses. The masses will not always accept everything we do sometimes they won't understand so all that we can do is create for those few people in our lives that we know will read or or watch or look at what we're creating and um i remember being up on that stage when i was first sort of attempting poetry and i remember this one person would always come up to me and he would say to me oh my god like where did that come from? Like, that was amazing. And, and when you say, where does that come from? Like, that thing was deep, you know, like I can't mm-hmm. use expletives here, but, he, you know, that's something, that bleep is deep. And that really, no, that really, really affected me because I loved his work. And I mm-hmm. knew that if he was telling me that, that maybe, maybe I was on to something. And I just kept kind of, uh, and, I, and I will also say one last thing about uh, yes. this is that, I think because um, I go back to what I was saying before, I, I didn't study writing in school. You know, I, I wasn't a part. I, I, I came to it on my own. And I came to it through really a lot of hard work. I mean, I write every morning for two, three hours, and that's religious. I, I, I never miss a morning. And that's the only way that I could learn a craft or learn this craft was to just keep, keep practicing. Um, but I will say that um, I am very, very influenced um, by uh, music and I'm very in- influenced by film so I'm a very I have a very cinematic mind when I write mm-hmm. and I also have a lot of rhythm in my work influenced by music so I think that when I feel that that's connecting um, you know the visual and or cadence and the rhythm sometimes mm-hmm. um, that is even more important um, than, or I should say, if that's working for me, then I know I'm on the right path. And if it's not working mm-hmm. for me, then uh, I take a step back and kind of look back over that. And for poetry, as you know, it's all about cadence and rhythm. Uh, and then I learned storyline. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, what are some of the predominant themes that you write about? So, in... In my uh, most well, let's in my in my latest book of poetry, um, mm-hmm. which is a full-length book of po- 
poetry. There's about 65 poems in there. Uh, that's called Truth, Love, and the Lines in Between. Um, and of course, you can pick that up on um, uh, Finishing Line Press. Um, or you can go onto my website, paulrevinowitz.com, yes. to pick it up. Um, that book, Michael, uh, deals with a person, uh, myself, uh, on a journey in what I call in my book the second act, the second stage of his life. Um, at, for me, uh, the most profound uh, period was when I turned 50, and not because I turned 50, but because a lot of things were happening in my life uh, at 50. Um, and all of those things kind of pushed me into something. I came from the, I had a small business in the private sector, nothing to do with art. But all mm -hmm. of a sudden things started uh, entering into me, you know, like uh, they call some people the shadow artists that, you know, they're probably always an artist, but they never really had a platform for it. And at 50, I said, I'm going for this. This is something that's interesting to me. And I started to uh, delve deeper and deeper into the world of art. And this book, Truth, Love, and the Lines in Between, really documents through poems um, and some prose poems um, what happened and why at, uh, not why, but at that age, you know, at 50, 55 years old, I had to rediscover things that maybe at 20 or 30 or 40, I would just look at and say, oh, that's cool. But now mm -hmm. at 50, 55, I'm revisiting these things um, and writing about them uh, through the eyes uh, of an artist, of a poet. Mm -hmm. And so the subject of what that book was about uh, was really trying to figure out for myself um, what is this all about? Where, what is this new phase of my life? And you have to understand that there's people that are saying like, uh, you know, what's happened to Paul? You know, he used mm -hmm. to be this. And now he's like, so, uh, you know, I'm a father. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I've got three boys. And they knew me one way prior to that, you know, turning point mm -hmm. in my life. And now, you know, God, dad's really overthinking this. He's downstairs every morning in the basement <laughs> writing, you know, what's and it is kind of transformational. And I think that that book really is about uh, rediscovering myself, my life in my second act, you know, uh, the world's stage. So now I'm in my second act of 50, uh, rediscovering myself as an artist. Now, here's one of those very basic questions. How long did it take you to write the book? Um, so... My so I, I actually did something that I'm going to share with everyone because I think it's it's a really great well, I don't know for me it worked it was kind of an interesting vehicle um, so I'm a fairly uh, I'm a very disciplined uh, human mm -hmm. so I you know kind of like when I set my mind to something um, I'm I'm going to figure out a way to get it done. Uh, and maybe that's also, you know, for the good or for the bad, Michael. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm also saying that sometimes it's my detriment. So, you know, but but being disciplined also means that when I'm finished, I'm finished and I move on. So um, Truth, Love, and the Lines in Between took me about two years to write. Um, I wrote, I think, my first piece 
pretty much when the pandemic hit. Actually, my novel, uh, The Clay Urn, came out on March 22nd, um, 2020. That's kind of when the world started shutting down. So, you know, I had this, yeah, I had all these uh, book launches to go to and these readings and at libraries and the whole thing was shut down on that day. So to make a long story short, I was at home as most of us were. I was in front of my computer. I had time and I started delving into these poems. Every single poem in that book, all 65, were written um, within the confines of my house or on the outside garden. My wife is a gardener, so I got to observe nature. And it was really written through the um, course of a year. Even though it took two years, it was like the cycle of seasons. So I was able to, in the book, kind of place the four segments, winter, spring, summer, fall, and just observe. And sometimes these observations, sometimes these poems uh, would be about a rose, you know, that mm-hmm. was sitting on my desk in a, in a little planter and how the rose would open up and I would watch it. And of course I would relate it to metaphors for other things in life and the world around me, so on and so forth. But that book took me two years to write. And um, I wanted to mention about that little secret. Um, so one of the things that I started to discover during the pandemic is something called Instagram, which now everyone's like, oh, okay, Instagram. But, you know, for myself, I came late. I came late to it. I came, you know, like four yeah, years too. ago. Yeah. I and, still don't I understand. Said, I still don't understand. It. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I think I've got 20 followers. <laughs> Listen, oh, that, is, that is better than, that is better than 19. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, well. So, but what I did was, I'm never going to be that, you know, like you and I will never be that, you know, 20,000. I mean, I, I'm in all these <laughs> 20,000 followers. Um, and I said, I will never be that person. So how can I use um, uh, this to my advantage? So somebody who I've worked with over the years, her name is Sydney Crusoe. She's a, a graphic designer and a great graffiti artist also. Um, she said, well, you know what I do? I just use Instagram solely uh, for my professional use. In other words, if I want to talk to friends, or reach, I do Facebook. But for Instagram, she said, I keep it to my art. And I said, well, that's interesting because I can kind of curate something there if it's just my art. So what I started to do was something that actually pushed my writing forward. And I actually challenged everyone to do this. Um, you know, on Instagram, of course, you can, you know, post whatever you want. And so what I decided to do is I decided to do like a, like a checkerboard. I, I would post maybe one of my photographs, but next to it always had to be a written piece and then another photograph and then a written piece and then a photograph. Well, sometimes, and the photograph didn't have to necessarily be my photography. It could be like a, a poster for a film that I made, um, or it could be an award that I just won, but it was a photograph, right? I'm uploading a photograph. So I disciplined myself to keep hell or high water. No matter what came, I would never put two photos together. That meant that in order for me to post another photo, I had to write something because it always had to be photo written word, photo, written word, photo, written word. If you go onto my website, uh, my Instagram page now, at Paul Rabinowitz, you will see that. And all of those um, 
you know, in between photographs uh, or the pieces that I uh, posted in between the photographs, many of those ends ended up in truth, love, and the lines in between. So I was putting out like a new poem every three, three or four days because I was so anxious to put up another yes. poster or another <laughs> photograph. <laughs> and to this day, I still dis- discipline my, or I should say, I curate my Instagram that way. And that means that I have to constantly be writing and putting up. The, and even when I'm writing fiction, Michael, so now I'm, I'm doing a short story. So I go between short stories, poetry, I know, prose. So I'm always going back and forth because that's what I like to do. Um, and now I'm writing a short story. I've just finished my uh, Grand Street Revisited, which was a nonfiction work. So now I'm writing a fiction, a short story. And then I take a break for two days and I write a poem and I put it up on Instagram because I just won a film festival, but I cannot put up my, my film until I write a new poem. And that's why it went quickly. So two years, that was it. All right. You know, yeah. before we move into the reason that we're all here to hear your work, is there a story behind the title of this book, Truth, Love, and the lines in between. Um, yeah, so there is. So, as I mentioned before, uh, this is a book um, about a, a person searching uh, in himself for what his world now is as as an artist. And truth is... Uh, of truth, love, and lines between truth is a better or deeper understanding sometimes of what we have to do in order to explore uh, ourselves. So what do I mean by that? Is that um, I can... I can um, I can um, explain to somebody something that's happening um, to me at that time, and that's the truth of it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that truth of what I'm explaining is not necessarily how it was perceived before. So, for example, Michael. Here I was at 57 years old doing a performance of my poetry in a underground kind of cabaret uh, where the average age of the other artist was maybe 25 years old. And I did that performance with a dancer. We, we worked together to create this uh, piece with a dancer and a saxophone player. And we did this live. And people are saying like, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> you know, you should be watching the New York Giants football game this weekend. Like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing in Brooklyn? And, and, and sometimes I needed to get Michael closer to a truth. I needed to do things that maybe I had missed when I was 25 or 30. And maybe I was always an artist, but I just went in a different direction. Maybe 
uh, for whatever reason. I just didn't go there. And now I have to rediscover that. So there's, a, there's an element of I needed to find the truth in what I was writing about. Love. So it's truth, love, and the lines in between. Um, well, love is the love of what I was doing. I was so in love with this new world of art in, in, in discovering all the interesting places, specifically in New York City. So I live uh, very close to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, easy for me to get in there. And Brooklyn in the, 19, uh, in the, in the 2000s was sort of the place here uh, to go to to find everything you needed uh, in the world of art. And I mean everything, you know, A to Z. And I would go in there, you know, sometimes by myself. My wife said, you, Paul, you got to go because I'm just not interested in seeing, you know, this avant-garde dance where I don't know what the heck is going on. But I <laughs> fell in love with this world. And, and I fell in love with the people that were putting themselves out there, Michael. You know, the people mm-hmm. that were just like, like I even in one of my pieces, you know, like, what if I stood naked, you know, and just sang love songs, you know. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, even though they weren't standing naked, they, to me they were. They were completely open to exposing themselves, their heart, to whatever they felt. And I wanted that. I wanted to know how on earth they're doing that. So that is the truth, to find the truth, the love. I was in love with this world. And, of course, I'm not a 25-year-old kid. You know, mm-hmm. I am a, um, at that time I was 50, between 50 and 55, 60 years old. So the lines in between is like all of these things that were in between that truth, that search for art and what art is, is, is bringing me, the, the love affair that I was having with everything I was doing. Um, but I got to grapple with all those lines in between. I got to grapple with the family. I got to grapple with friends who are like, what the hell's going on? Um, external forces, um, all kinds of things. And so, again, uh, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't on this path. I was on this path by myself, but the ramifications um, were being felt uh, throughout and by other people and, and so on and so forth. And I will say, the last thing I'll say about this is that if you are going to really become an artist, and when I say become an artist, it's like, you don't call yourself an artist. Like, like I remember talking to some people and they've never done art, but they say, oh yeah, I'm an artist. I said, well, what do you mean? Like, it says, no, like I got artist sensibility, you know, like I, I kind of like, I'm an artist. I said, well, can you just show me like something you've done just so I can get an idea? And they said, no, I haven't done anything, but like I'm an artist. And, so, and I kind of get what they're saying. Like there's a sensibility of the way they see the world, but that wasn't enough for me. I couldn't call myself an artist. I couldn't call myself a writer. Fully understood what I was doing. You've got to take risks, and you've got to go out on a limb, and you've got to walk a tightrope sometimes. And that's yes. tight wire. And that's what I did. Wow. So that's very nice. Love the line. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, I love hearing about titles of books as well as poems. Paul, please share four of your poems back to back sure just give me one second i'm just setting this up as we uh, as we speak so just give me a half a second 
Not a problem. Not a problem. Okay, Michael. Thank you. All right. You know, the format is usually a, one poem, and then I ask a question. But I want a body of your work before I ask my next sure. question. Okay. This is called In the Original Language. I understood what Adam went through in the garden in July on the first day when all was calm and the wind barely blew as things were slowly being figured out. But wonder what Eve was going, was looking for because she understood more than he would ever know. And she was complete and her body was truth. And like a dancer that moves away from a small town in Ohio or New Mexico or a place that no one goes to unless someone is dying, you found me sitting alone on a park bench with paper and pen and said your name in the original which is Chaya, as in living, as in the present tense. And I thought, who named their child living unless they believed she will continue dancing despite the tragic end of the first act, as in the way your body springs as you walk across the grass with strong torso, extended neck, and ballet slippers dangling from ribbons strewn over wide shoulders, and I deliberate about the enormity of our next move together. But like a visionary, you've already choreographed in your mind how all this will play out on stage as your eyes scan this perfect space of fruits and flowers, even a stream tumbling through a crack in the rock down a cliff into a small pool where two gazelles gather, drinking fresh water. And you look at me with those gentle eyes, knowing I lack experience, unsure if I can do any of this here with you in July. Then, like the sweet sound of chirping crickets, I hear three words that sound like, I know you, blending with the gurgling pulse of water over smooth rocks and turn my head towards the crevice of your mouth to make sure I understand the words in the original language and realize I have never heard a dancer speak while on stage. If this is part of the living performance, then how should I take these three words that cause my body to tremble? and wonder if you are aware of how words can trigger something this new world has never felt. I am still learning and succumb to this moment knowing the three words you speak are now living inside me and the wild garden you have chosen for this act is within you as you are knowing but I am still gathering and wonder how will others know about this moment and will they question the act? So do I need to record this 
or should the act of living be all we need? What of those who don't understand the words in the original? So I pull a piece of dry grass from the field, reach for low-hanging fruit, then squeeze the juice into your palm, dip the reed into the ink, onto your perfect body, and write Adam. Then next to it, the word desire. And with the tip of the reed dripping red, I scribe your name in the present tense, in the original language, and feel my body pulsating, body, and feel my pulsating body contract as you smile with each stroke of the reed. Then you ask me to write a poem about a dancer and turn towards me, exposing your thighs, my hand moving like the gazelle skipping over rocks. And I look around at this setting, the reed on your flesh, and the words flow out from my body in the original language we spoke together for the first time on a perfect day in July in the garden. And I question, if this is living, then will I stay here with you forever? Or until something in the new world that we cannot explain turns and the weather cools, rain pours down hard from the dark sky above, and with no protection, our bodies shiver and the living words written in the original language across your body wash off. And I wonder if living is changing and knowing is forgetting. So when the scenes of the perfect garden fade, I return to Ohio or New Mexico or someplace where names are in the past tense, and the original is sin. I turn to look at you for the last time, knowing I might never see anything like this again. This next one is called Speeding Ticket. Ode to my speeding ticket, proving that a man my age can still be reckless and do what he wants when he feels like it without any care of consequence. Flashing me back to the days of rebellious youth when I dropped my first hit of acid with my best friend at his parents' formal dinner party told my girlfriend I'll go there if she goes there, and without any thought, risked a year in military prison, threatening the captain who put my brothers at too much risk. Now, with this speeding ticket, I wait till the last day permitted, without penalty, to send my check, placing the stamp horizontal.
This next piece is called Dolly. I had the most interesting dream last night about a woman who dressed like Salvador Dali and a man who dressed like his muse, Gala. Each impression of the other fell for the impression of the other, but when their true selves were revealed, the man who dressed as Gala decided to borrow the clothes from the woman who dressed as Dali. The woman was so moved, she dressed in the clothes of his muse, Gala, and together they decided to photograph each other with an old camera that had no film. Yet the idea of the photo that never came to be became the idea for a novel that was never written. As he removed his tie, setting it on the waxed end of her elegant mustache. And the last one I'll read is uh, called Tongue Tied. It would be easy to explain if I were shirtless, covered in paint, atop a 12-foot ladder, layers of drop cloth underneath Beethoven's Concerto Number no. 5 blaring. And with brush in hand, and muscles flexed, I lean into a canvas, applying final touches around corners of your mouth. But instead, I sit alone with small fingers on plastic keys, conjuring stories about a conflicted artist who paints scenes of longing in early dawn, waiting for drips of light to uncover his darkness. Hmm. So those are the four. All right. I'm just sitting here thinking, listening, enjoying. I'm not sure what compelled me to ask you to read four as opposed to my typical one, (laughs) but I'm glad I did because it gave me an opportunity to have a greater understanding of your writing, of the way you structure the lines. Hmm. When you write, Paul, who drives you or the poem? So I would say it starts with me and then the poem drives it. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, when I write poetry, uh, it first starts with an idea that I want mm-hmm. to explore. Um, and a lot of my poems are about poetry. Uh, a matter of fact, the first piece, I, or, or about writing, the first piece I read, uh, because again, 
you know, going back to truth, love, and the lines in between, the way that I can find out my truth or the way I can understand the truth, and when I say truth, it's an understanding and acceptance, is through my writing. Um, and even though I'm also doing photography, I'm making films, mm-hmm. um, my, I'm always starting with the written word. That is where my truth comes from and my stories come from. And stories and characters build towards some kind of understanding, some kind of truth. So to answer your question, I always start with an idea, Michael. It's, um, you know, like with the, in the original language, my idea was Adam and Eve. And my idea was, um, you know, we interpret the story of Adam and Eve. And I feel like Adam and Eve is such, in its purest element, is such a beautiful story. But we, the establishment, religion, had to turn it into something where there's sin, um, there's ramifications, there's consequences, and all that kind of stuff. But in its purest form, I'm thinking, well, what would it have been like, you know, if there was, if I was with Eve, and I was, uh, and, and and we were kind of experiencing this. So I, I took it, I put in words like, you know, in the middle of July, or you know, people that come from Ohio or New Mexico to kind of ground it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, you know, the truth in that one is the present tense. So we are always concerned about our past and we're concerned about our future and rightfully so, but sometimes we just forget to live in our present tense. So that particular story was about the past, the future and the present. And mm-hmm. how do I, as a writer, write in the present tense and write my feelings as they are happening now. So that story started with that concept of, you know, a modern day take on Adam and Eve written in the present tense. And, right. and then I start outlining it and then the poem takes over. I, I, actually, I, I'll be honest with you, Michael. I don't even know. I don't even know how I come out with this stuff when it's done. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I and 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 I used to I used to listen to writer uh, musicians mostly singer songwriters, you know, talking about like, you know, how they ended up with this stuff, and they don't even know how they got there. And I'm like, oh come on. And then I started writing myself, and I realized, yeah, there's some truth in that element. Like, I don't know how the heck I wrote this in the original language. I mean, I don't know what came over me, what inspired me. So I would say it first starts with me as the outline, and then the poem just takes over. So how does poetry allow you to express emotions or experiences that other forms of writing might not? I know that you write autofiction, but what is it about poetry that gives a different level of, uh, what's the word here, Paul? Mm. It's not verve. Right. Um, So... Yeah. Well, I think that I think for me, it's a subconscious, it's a nonlinear subconscious thought pattern. So when I'm writing poetry, I can take Mm -hmm. uh, something that is very tangible to me, something very Mm -hmm. real. Um, The second poem that I wrote, that I read, uh, that I shared with you um, was about the speeding ticket you know, a a silly speeding ticket. And yet how that speeding ticket, you know, I can, I, I put that speeding ticket 
into a, a poem that ends up talking about how crazy or how we've lost a lot of that craziness as we get into uh, older age, you know. And the mm-hmm. best I can do now is be really rebellious and place my stamp the wrong way and send it off to the government, you know. <laughs> yeah, which is ridiculous. But, but like, that, that, that writing that in poetic form, I can, I can arrive at that at the end. I can't do that through prose. I just cannot do that. So um, poetry allows me to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it allows me, um, I don't have to hide behind a fictional character. Okay. All of these things are about, you know, I'm always using the, the, uh, the, the, the first person. Um, but when you write about a speeding ticket, so, so for example, in that one about the speeding ticket, you know, I go into things that are, are, are true about me. You know, I was in the military. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was in, um, you know, I, I was very uh, adventurous when I was a kid. Um, you know, um, you know, dropping a hit of acid at my, you know, at my parent, my best friend's parents' formal dinner party. I mean, those are some crazy things, you know, mm-hmm. when you're young and trying to figure things out. But I can't go there. I would have to do it through a character. In yes. poetry, it's me, baby. There ain't hiding. You know, this is me. Now, now someone will say, oh, that's such great poetry. I said, yeah, but if you read between the lines, mm. I'm writing about me. Wow. And that's so in all that, of those. Yeah. Well, ahead, I'm that, sorry. <laughs> right. That takes me back to the word verb. Because yes. when defined, it's vigor and spirit or enthusiasm. And that's what I heard when you were sharing your work. There was this something else was there. Right. And right. it makes and for me, the question that I ordinarily ask, I'm gonna ask it now, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? If there is a relationship. Um, so I would say that that's everything. Okay. I would say that, and again, Michael, I have to go back to something I said earlier in the in the in our chat, is that I I didn't study I didn't study writing. You know, I came very late, so yes. I can only go with gut intuition. Like I don't even know, and I'm I'm, I'm being honest with you. You know, I don't really understand punctuation and poetry like I don't understand where my comma is supposed to go I mean to me when I read it's like song it's like rhythm so why should I break any of that stuff with commas if I can just create a stand a line break and so the point I'm making here is that my poetry is raw and directly connected to my voice it is directly connected to my voice and when I write poetry I am saying those lines out loud. And when there's that hum, when there's that verb, when there's that, that, that buzz going on, I know yes. I've hit it and that's it. And I won't go back to it. You know, mm. you know, when I wrote that last, like, you know, I'm going back to in the original language, a longer uh, prose poem that I wrote. And mm. I get to that last line and I say, you know, when I turn to look at you, knowing I will never 
see anything like this again. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me is music, you know, yes. and that to me is there's something profound, not just in the words, but how it is said. So all of Truth, Love, and the Lines in Between, the way my editor, uh, Finishing Line Press, they've been fantastic, by the way. They're like, well, go proofread again because, you know, we're getting to the galley now. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to read this thing aloud. And if it, re- if, if it hums, I'm good to go. All right. There's you know, we got to. Bird is so critical. That that hum. <laughs> I like that hum too. We're going to take a very brief break, Paul. But I want to ask you a question that I'd like you to answer when we return. You're writing about your lived experience, and it's quote the real you, the lines in between. What I'd like to know is, does it hurt to write poetry? If not, why not? And we'll be right back. back. <laughs> I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Paul Rabinowitz. Paul, my question, does it hurt to write poetry? If not, why not? Um, so, you know, I can only um, I can only answer by drawing from my experiences and I'm, yes. I, I, I'm not really sure not really sure what hurt is so okay okay so yeah so so i understand what you mean like um you know do we have to be um is is there a level of pain that's released uh from the mind through the fingers onto the uh, the keyboard to the to the to the screen and but I will have to say for me it doesn't hurt okay I, so so it's a great question and, and that's why obviously I'm hesitating because it's a great question it's a question that I have not pondered um, you know about the hurt essence of things um, I love writing. I mm-hmm. I love it. I, I love sitting down. So my routine is I wake up at six and I have my make my coffee and I come down and I and I and I and I sit at my keyboard, my computer, and I write. Mm-hmm. Now that writing comes from no matter what I'm working on, um, but talk specifically about poetry. Um I would say there's more of a flow than a hurt. Now, sometimes, okay. now sometimes, I will be describing something that is incredibly painful, mm-hmm. but 
when I'm writing about it, I am really more concerned about how is the end product going to look. So, for example, I, I, I wrote a piece, um, uh, you, you know, I wrote a piece in Truth Over the Lines of Between that was a very difficult situation that I had uh, with, with my partner, my, with my wife. Mm-hmm. Not difficult in the sense there's an argument or anything like that, but, you know, we have to be willing to expose Michael. And, and yes. It's not easy. You know, it's not no, easy. It's not. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And those lines in between mm-hmm. are where I have to protect, in a way, my world and yet be honest as, as, a, as a poet and mm-hmm. as an artist. And so... Mm-hmm. That's where sometimes the hurt wasn't so much on me, but the mm-hmm. hurt was people around me. And then I, yes. I, I understood. Mm-hmm. I understood. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I also had to understand the lines in between how somebody else might be um, understanding it. And yet, as artists, and it's it's such a... Sometimes it's a lonely world because, you know, we, we've got to get out the best poem that yes. we can do. And, yeah. So I don't know if I you, answered your question. Yes, so that, that, you that was a, it's a great question. <laughs> and, and I don't well, think I write, I don't think it hurts me to write no. poetry. I think, yeah, I think there's an element of my goal is always to finish. Right. So it's less about the cathartic nature of it and mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. about coming up with a concept and putting it out there so it's out there to read or that I can read. Yeah. Well, I guess I was thinking that the hurt could be, maybe, are the lines in between. Because mm-hmm. as you said, that is, you may not hurt. It might not be your person, but it might hurt, in quote, someone else. You see what I'm saying? Yep. So I like I liked that. I like that because, again, the word hurt is relative because it means different things to different people. There are different we'll say, gradations of it, levels yep. of it. So, I mean, per, you answered it perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. Thank you. So I, you've hit the nail on the head. The lines in between are the hurt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and we have our truth, uh, we have our love, and then there's everything else that comes in between yes. that. And, that <laughs> and, and that's the exploration that can hurt people. Mm-hmm. You know, some years ago, I heard the line that we do not live a life in black or white, that there's gray in there. That's where the gunk happens, the yep. stuff in that yep. gray area. <laughs> yep. Not in black or white, but it's the stuff in the middle, those lines in between. Absolutely. Those lines in between. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. I, 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 you know, Michael, I, uh, yes. it's funny because in the, in the opening of uh, the lines in between, um, so I have um, an intro, like, you know, what, what this is about. And um, uh, it says the poems and stories you are about to encounter are wrapped up in the journey of a person uh, at the beginning of the second act. At 50 years old, I took a day off from my routine and traveled from my suburban home to an open door somewhere near Grand Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I found art. Ten years later, I exited through the back. I didn't exit through the front. <laughs> I exited through the back 
<laughs> holding photographs, films, and stories about truth, love, and the lines in between. And so mm-hmm. then um, I have this line where, um, again, this is in part of the intro, where I said, um, uh, this collection is dedicated to people who never give up searching for what might lie on the other side. We mm-hmm. have no specific reason for why we do this. It's not for fame or to increase our nest egg. Rather, we are drawn to sparks that can ignite inner flames. We have mm-hmm. this insatiable desire to get closer to some kind of truth, even if we have to crawl through mud to get there. So that Speak- is, yeah. Well, speak I like that. Speaking of mud, <laughs> right now here's a question that I've asked now 400 times. Sure. So this is 401. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> there's good in the world. There's bad in the world. There's ugly in the world. There's also indifference in the world. Based on what you've experienced, what you've learned in the last 12 years about being a poet and sharing your work, and and even prior to that, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think that I have seen in my poetry lifetime, so that's in the Mm -hmm. last uh, 12 or 13 years, I have seen here in our area of New Jersey, New York City, um, and I I don't know about the rest of the country, but I think we're all on the same page. I think, so I have seen Mm -hmm. a resurgence of literary open mics. I have seen almost now where I am in this area of New Jersey, about 20 minutes outside of New York City, Almost every other town has a literary open mic. An mm-hmm. open mic, not music. I'm talking poetry, prose. And I feel that the role of poetry in our modern society is there's a lot, Michael, there's a lot of pain in today's world. There's a lot. Yes. And yes. there's a lot of pain in America. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes we don't have, we don't give folks a platform to speak their truths, to speak their Mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a resurgence in the number of these open mics where from high school kids to college kids to adults to senior citizens, I work with a lot of senior citizens, to get up front of an audience and read their poetry mm-hmm. and when they come down the first time of reading a poetry in front of an audience for the first time they come on they come down and i always talk and say how did that feel mm-hmm. and they said that was like nothing i have ever experienced <laughs> on earth that was the greatest feeling he said not <laughs> only because people were kind and listening but that i got to share something that i wrote that was from my heart Yes, that's powerful. So, so I cannot speak for the popular in poetry books. I know there's a lot of people publishing, um, public finishing line presses. 
Uh, there's a lot of other great presses, Kevin Carey here in New Jersey, getting poetry out. I think there is a resurgence right now in poetry, mm-hmm. but more important in our modern world in 2023, I see the importance of these open bikes where people can come of any, you know, the, 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 the beginner poet, published poet, uh, to get out there and read their pieces live, and people are listening and absorbing. So it's sort of like, you know, the jazz renaissance, uh, where everybody was coming and listening, and jazz was jazz, but people were learning and listening and growing from just being in that damn audience and listening to some great people up on stage. And the next time they'd say, man, next time I go up on that stage, I'm going to learn you know, what he did or what she did. And that's what I think is happening right now. And I think that that's the importance of poetry right now is giving everyone the same equal chance to express from their heart. You can't do yes. that with a novel. You know, you need years mm-hmm. to write a novel, but mm-hmm. poetry is more immediate. All right. Please share four more. This one is called Quiet Morning, and I just want to mention that uh, the word cabiquio is uh, a tango house in Argentina. Quiet morning. If I were a true poet, I wouldn't sit for hours with curved spine and hunched back, laboring over every word, wondering how it might sound when read in the stillness of your quiet morning. Instead, I'd put down my pen extend my hand and wait for the music of the milonga to swirl between us, your dark eyes surrendering to my cabiquio. This one is called Nightstand. These days, I only read works from poets I'm intimate with, not the cigarette afterwards kind, but more in a crowded room kind, when you read that piece about smoking a cigarette afterwards, lips pursed round a narrow filter, inhaling nicotine, your body absorbing poison, eyes shift to a copy of Gideon's Bible, on the nightstand next to a stained panel wall. Thoughts drift to another place like a crowded room with adoring fans clapping and snapping and you forget to tap the ash so it tumbles onto linen burning small holes. I push past the audience with heart racing, purchase the last copy Ask you to sign your name and place it on my nightstand next to an ashtray I took from an old motel I stopped into one night after working late somewhere near Bayonne and opened the book to that poem 
inhale the fragrance lingering from your fingers where you signed your name under the title on a clear white page next to a graphic of a long ash across a Bible on a nightstand still burning. This one is called Temporary Exhibit. Why is it when I visit the great art museums, all I do is watch the curious? Necks elongated, teeth clamped on lips, eyes like slits, maybe staring at a Picasso. And when they turn to look at me, studying them, I feel overwhelmed. These patrons of great art would take a moment to analyze what's in front of them in the flesh, curved spine against blank white wall, inside the greatest art museum in the world. This is called The Wish. What if I could paint like you, piercing light through darkening skies? If I could weave stories by blending chapters about love and discontent? What if I stood naked, sang love songs that pry hearts open like the edge of a knife? I wouldn't struggle with the truth. No need for crayons whose tips are flat from making rainbows. I could delete my tired sentences with dubious meanings, be free of burden. Then perhaps you would look at me. And then the last one I'll read is... Mm-hmm. Um, I'll read Us Writers. Give it out to all of us writers out there. Us Writers. I remember it was Bernie who penned this song for Elton alone in his room on a rainy morning, not because he needed something more to live on than black coffee or cheap wine, nor did he ever think about life with a top 10 hit. But just because us writers have this thing. So when I see your eyes darting from this poem to the unpaid bills, I am comforted to know in 50 years, no one will remember it was I who penned this poem for you, but will see only a legend with studded jacket rhinestone glasses and a wig so large it buried his head wow 
Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners need a moment just like I do. <laughs> Let's imagine for a moment, speaking of moments, that writing a poem is like baking a cake. What are some of the most prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction we call a poem? What did you put in your poetry book? The first thing you got to do is be 100% sure, no matter what. And I am talking about no matter how much that feeling comes over you to do it, you've got to resist looking at the cookbook. Never look at a cookbook because you're going to cook with feeling. And you cannot follow the guidelines if you're going to cook with feeling. So the first thing you do is you gather up all the things that you think are going to taste right. A little celery, a little garlic, a little onions. And you chop them up real fine like love. You know, when you're really in that moment, Margate playing on sound system, a glass of red wine, and you're chopping up these onions, this garlic and this onions, and then you're putting in the butter. Not the olive oil, the butter into that pan. And you take that stuff and you put that into the pan and there is a smell that is like <laughs> your mother's home kitchen cooking that stuff up. And you put all that stuff in and you let it simmer. And when that butter starts going dancing and throwing up the onions and the garlic and the celery well now you know it's time to put in your andouille sausage chop fine put it into that pot and let that simmer and let all of those great ingredients mesh in with that sausage and you take a seat back you go back and you find that new orleans playlist french quarter music 1986 and you put it on and all of a sudden you hear the Neville brothers and you imagine that pot exploding with the voice of Aaron Neville and you shake that pan, you shake that pan and when it's all right and ready, you put up the shrimp, you cut that shrimp real fine, you throw it in. You cut up the chicken real fine and you throw it in and then you take a little bit of wine, white wine, put it in there, you take a match and you light it. And that whole thing kind of boils up and flames together with a smell that you've never experienced in your life. And then you cover it and you let it sit there for about 25 minutes. You turn up another Neville Brothers song and now you're just kind of sitting, having a glass of wine. 25 minutes, you remove that cover you put in your rice, you cover it up again, you put in some bay leaves, and you put a little tomato sauce, and then you come to your final stanza. And when you're looking at that blank screen in your final stanza, you put your fingers on the keyboards, Michael, mm -hmm. and you turn to that frying pan, and you turn to your partner, and you say to her, this is going to change your life. <laughs> Wow. 
you know, I've never had a cake that had celery in it or onion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that supposed to be a cake? <laughs> oh, well, forget that one. Oh, that's so funny. Did you say That's a cake? why I was laughing, Rick. <laughs> you know what? I don't bake, man. My roots of cooking is New Orleans. Man. If anything goes on a frying pan and in the frying pan, rabbit, alligator, and Dewey sausage, there ain't nobody baking in New Orleans. <laughs> I guess I was expecting <laughs> metaphors and maybe some imagery. Oh, <laughs> but we got a gumbo. <laughs> you got it. You got a. You got a filet gumbo, man. That's <laughs> <all>. <laughs> Oh, that's great. All right. Well, all you listeners out there, I don't make a cake that way. So. <laughs> that was so funny. That was great. <laughs> And so all that I can say with that is when you're when my, when you listeners are out there and you're like in this uh, interview process, make sure you yes. write down what the interviewer says. Because <laughs> you go off on a tangent and then he comes back and says, that's not a cake. <laughs> and then you listening to tell it like it is. Oh, you know it, man. The oh, the beautiful Aaron the Neville, number. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, man. The guy said make a cake. <laughs> Let your conscience be your guide. No, that's great. That's great. Sorry okay. about that. I got a little lost okay, in sorry. the thing. That's okay. That's okay. So, with, with this particular book, my friend, in terms of your target audience, are you hoping to reach a wide range of readers, or are you looking to target a particular group? So uh, that's a great question. Actually, I was just interesting. I was just talking to my my wife Megan about that uh, this morning. We were we were having a chat about that. Um, yeah. So so um, you know, poetry is. Um, I would say it's not unlike music where, um, you know, you're going to have certain uh, poets and poetry books that are picked up by a younger audience. Um, and I, I don't know if a younger audience is going to pick up this book. I hope they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do teach, by the way, as you said in the bio, or uh, yes. you opened up. And um, I use these poems with high school students, with college students, and and they they love it. You know, they love talking about uh, the art museums or uh, you know uh, Salvador Dali. So mm-hmm. I hope that's the case, but um, um, I, I would say that I just don't know. I am I'm going for a wider audience. Um, the book uh, comes out in a day. It was supposed to come out on the 22nd, but the printers are just delayed by a few days. I have my book launch on October 22nd, and yes. if you're in New Jersey, Madison, go on to my website, paulrabinowitz.com, and you'll see all the information. And there are all ages there. My book launch, my, my, my followings range from you know, high school students uh, right up to senior citizens. So I hope it reaches out to a wider audience. All right. You know, I've got 100 questions to ask you, and I, I'd like to, if we can arrange it, for you to come back before the end of the year. Sure. So that you can read some more of your work. And sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> Make another cake. I was gonna say maybe I'll even maybe I'll even maybe I'll even get a recipe down for a cake. <laughs> okay, but seriously. Oh, yeah, go ahead. You're gonna be thinking about that, right? Oh my God. What do you think your work, your poetry conveys about the human condition? Oh, that's that's the great question right there. I think that um, I think that we are all we are all um, you know we all have our idiosyncrasies. We all have our flaws. We all have our wonderfulness. Um, and I think that the human can, for me, my poems, and I think that it's not just in my poetry, but also in my novels, um, mm-hmm. we see all sides of humans. And that's what I'm most interested in. So my my medium is, is, is human beings. I love writing about humans and all their, their ups and downs, their ins and outs, um, the sadness, the sad parts, the happy parts. And I think Truth, Love, and the Lines in Between, this particular book, really deals through the, my, through the eyes of the poet, but dealing with all of these different situations that humans are in, um, especially uh, me as I was writing it, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the poems that I shared with you, uh, but the poems that I didn't share also about uh, yes. the human condition. And, and, and really, see, I don't want to, I don't want to um, go on to the last few poems because there there is an arc to this book believe it or not I mean it is a book of poetry but I always seem to write by tying in things and there is an arc to the story and there is an arc as we get closer to the end of the book mm-hmm. um, so the beginning of the book you'll pieces that I read is that the, the poet myself I'm really questioning a lot of things but little by little by little by little uh, things are not becoming clearer, but at least I'm getting to some kind of truth. And in the last poem, and in the last poem, I do arrive at it. And I don't mm-hmm. want to tell you what that truth is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, some of the great directors, uh, Ingmar Bergman is one of my favorite directors, always would try to find out what that truth is. And my truth is very different from his, but I hope mm-hmm. the reader will be interested to find out what that truth is. <laughs> You remind me of a meteor. Twelve or thirteen years ago, you were hurtling toward Earth. And then when you reached Earth, your poetic talent exploded. That's what you remind me of, Paul. Yes. (laughs) You really do. Uh, Yes. And sometimes, and and I don't, and I don't mean this, I mean this seriously. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I miss the question, like the kick, I miss it, but I'll go off on a tangent that I will start to create something, even though the question was wrong. And, And I mean that kind of half kidding, but there is something about the meteor that I'm hurling towards mm-hmm. something. Yes. I don't know what it is. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, you know, but um, I'm moving fast towards something. And mm-hmm. um, every day I'm creating. I mean, uh, I just, you know, I just create. I, I was just working on something uh, this morning, actually, that 
could sort of change in a way the way um, the traditional book reader reads a book. And okay. I don't want to get into that now because it'll be, um, if you know, the next time uh, we get together, I'm going to, I can talk about Confluence. Confluence is my the novel that I wrote that is now being pitched to agents and uh, also publishers because uh, presses, because I think it might be so avant-garde. The, the, and, mm-hmm. and again, I'll talk about it a little bit in the, in the next meeting. So avant-garde that I'm not even sure if a traditional agent will want to take a chance at it. But yet, I think it's where, quote unquote, books and uh, the literary world is going. And, uh, and I'm experimenting with that now. And that's a culmination of writing, working with dancers, and working with films. And now I'm putting that all together into an experience for the new experience of a reader. Wow. So, yeah. Still, still moving like a cop. <laughs> you are the man. <laughs> I, so I just have fun, man. I just, I just I'm have fun and cook my gumbo. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Oh, that's so funny. Because so when you put those onions in there the first time. Oh, man. <laughs> And you notice that I said never put olive oil because real New Orleans cooking, man, it's butter. (laughs) All right. You will be back, Paul. And we have to work. We have to schedule it. I want you to come back and we can talk some more and laugh some more and just be some more. All right, then. To the listening audience, as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Paul. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.